We're, we're in a series on the commands of Jesus. Oh, before I forget, we met with the uh, chapel renovation committee Wednesday night, and we're going to begin renovations in here about a month from now. So we'll need to move to the sanctuary uh, about the third week of July, something like that. Just give you a heads up on that. This about 100 years old. It's due for a bit of a facelift. So uh, carpets, some pews. Um, we're going to flatten the platform, do away with the choir rail that's never had a choir that I can think of. Um, and uh, move the screen, have some television monitors on the sides that will hide back in those side, those side walls and uh, just kind of spruce things up in here, some new lights and sound and that kind of thing. So just be aware of that, and uh, starting about the middle of July, we'll move this service into the sanctuary. If you promise not to sit in the back <laughs> of the sanctuary, if you do, I'll move the podium halfway back. I, I promise. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> uh, we're on the commands of Jesus, and um, they're not suggestions. They're not ideas. They are things that Jesus tells us to do. And the one I want to look at this morning is uh, don't be angry, but be reconciled. And so as we, as we think about this this morning, as a command of Jesus. I want you to begin thinking about who you, whom you have bitter feelings toward. Who are you angry with? What, what's going on in your life? And what bitterness are you harboring? I mean, if you can honestly say that you're on good terms with everybody, that's great. I hope you can. If not, then... Before this sermon's over, before this day's over, before this week is over, I hope that you can say that. Matthew 5, 21 through 26, this is what Jesus is saying, and this, once again, is the heart of the Sermon on the Mount, so it's, uh, it's the core of what Jesus is trying to communicate, the life he wants us to live. You have heard that it was said to the men of old, you shall not kill, and whoever kills shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be liable to the judgment. Why is that? Because anger, remember we talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, anger is the root that starts in the heart and left unchecked, it will begin to, to grow and, and flourish as long as you feed it like a plant. And eventually it will end up in killing someone, if not literally, then in your own mind and heart. Whoever insults his brother shall be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, shall be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you. Notice it doesn't say, if you have something against your brother. It's if you know your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Make friends quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you'll be put into prison. Truly I say to you, you'll never get out till you have paid the last penny. In other words, work things out between yourselves. Do whatever you have to do. If it means, you know, taking a loss, if it means being cheated, if it means um, being taken advantage of, whatever, it's more important that relationships in the church family Take priority over everything else. Be reconciled. You know, I hear people say, but it's the principle of the thing. And I, I said that to a lawyer one time. He said, that, that means absolutely nothing. He said, the principle to you. So be careful how you use that. Let's bow together. 
Father, we get so indignant and uh, self-righteous when we feel like we have been wronged. And relationships become strained. Friends become estranged. And it's not a good witness to the world as to how we as Christians are the salt and light. We're supposed to be the salt and light for positive, for good, for love, not for anger or enmity, bitterness or strife. And so help us put those feelings to rest, knowing the harm they do the body in your kingdom and our witness in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't be angry. Be reconciled. I guess anger is the one sin that we all try to justify and we all try to rationalize. And it's, it's probably one of the most dangerous things that we can do, not only to others, but even more so to ourselves. Um, we like to think that there are circumstances in which anger is permissible, when it's okay to be angry. As a matter of fact, if any of you have the King James Version in Matthew 5, verse 22, it says, but I shall say to you that everyone who was angry with his brother, the King James adds, without cause. And what happened there, that without cause is not in the earliest Greek manuscripts, but Erasmus, who was translating this passage from the Greek into the Latin, added without cause because he felt like it was necessary to justify anger so badly that he was willing to add something to the words of Jesus. But without cause is not in the original language. It's not in the original manuscripts. But Erasmus just felt the need to add it because apparently he was angry at somebody and he wanted to incorporate, if you are angry without cause, you shall be liable to judgment. Anger is responsible for all kinds of evil. And it knows no limits when it seeks vengeance. But people say, I hear all the time, well, well, God got angry. Yes, there were occasions when God got angry. But if you look at those passages, God never got angry at a person. When God got angry, he got angry at evil. He got angry at, at injustice. He got angry at situations where people were taking advantage of each other. Like Rome, Let me read Romans 1. 18 to you. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of men who by their wickedness suppress the truth. So what's the wrath of God? When does God get angry? When people suppress the truth, ungodliness, wickedness. God gets angry at evil and injustice. So, I mean, if you want to be angry at the things God gets angry at, then okay. You know, take your anger away from individuals who have mistreated you or wronged you and place that anger onto situations where there is evil and injustice and wickedness in the world. Anger only is a vicious cycle that leads to more anger, and all you got to do is look at the news in the Middle East today. And that, cy that cycle that has lasted for thousands of years of, of anger and, and uh, vengeance and war just continues to grow and grow. And now that cycle is spinning wider 
and wider and encompassing the entire world, isn't it? And we are being drawn into it as well. Years ago, a little old lady in Lithuania, let me get my story right here, um, lived alone in the woods. I guess this is more of a fable than anything else. And on the rare occasion that she spoke to people, it was always in, in riddles and proverbs that baffled and frustrated people. Um, so she was particularly caustic to a rich landlord who lived in town because she thought he was lazy. So when she saw him sitting in the sun, she would say things like, as the door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. Sounds like a proverb, doesn't it? Well, it, as you might imagine, it didn't take long for that landlord to begin to hate the old woman. One day she came upon him in the middle of a fierce argument, and she moved in between the shouting parties and pointed her finger in the landlord's face and said, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Well, he was furious, and one day he vowed that he would get even with the meddling old woman. Well, when she visited town the next day, the landlord had baked her a cake full of poison. And after talking to her in a friendly fashion, he offered her this present. He said, you have never tasted cake like this before. And she said, one day you will find yourself, whatever that means. Well, as she walked down the road, the landlord muttered to himself, one day you will find yourself in the arms of death. Well, as fortune would have it, on that same day, the woman visited the landlord. The landlord's son was participating in the hunt deep in the woods. And you know what happened. He got lost and he got hungry. And he knocked on the door of the old lady's house, hungry and thirsty, and she invited him in and offered a piece of cake that she had yet to partake of. The young man ate some of the cake and immediately fell dead on the ground. And the servants brought him to the father. And as he knelt beside the body of his son, tears streaming down his face, the old woman said, he who digs holes for others falls into them himself. If you dig holes for others, you will end up falling into that hole yourself. And that's what happens when you're angry at somebody, when you're angry, you're not hurting them, you're hurting yourself. You're only digging a hole up for yourself and eventually you'll trip and you'll fall into it. And it's gonna hurt you a whole lot more than the person who is the object of your anger and vengeance. There is even medical and psychological evidence today that people who are angry, who harbor bitterness, who are vengeful, end up suffering more than the object of their anger. Um, hatred is detrimental to your health. I read somewhere that if you harbor anger or hatred or bitterness, you are five times more likely to die before the age of 50 than those who are calm and trusting. I guess it has something to do with blood pressure and heart rate and all those kinds of things. As a matter of fact, um, I think those who are angry and bitter and vengeful are more likely to develop symptoms like arthritis and, and heart problems and asthma and a whole host of, of medical ailments. And I'm not saying if you have any of those ailments, it's because you're angry. But I am saying that, that sometimes, that not sometimes, always, 
our emotions find expression some way or another in our physical well-being. And so, once again, harboring anger and bitterness and vengeance harms primarily yourself. Now, I'll tell you what Christians do, because I see this a lot. Christians don't, don't know quite what to do with their anger, and so what do they do? They bottle it up. They suppress it. And what happens to suppressed anger? I'm not a psychologist, but usually suppressed anger comes out in forms of depression. Depression. So if I'm talking to somebody and they say they're depressed, but they can't put their finger on why, you know, everything else seems to be doing, you know, going okay in their lives, but they just got this nagging sense of depression that they just can't seem to overcome. Then, you know, I want to talk about, well, is there anything, is there any unresolved anger or hostility or bitterness in your life? Because a lot of times for Christians who don't know what else to do with anger, they they keep it deep inside, and it will eventually boil up into full-fledged depression. So anger, anger can be deadly. It can be, matter of fact, there's only one letter difference between anger and danger. Put a D on the front of it. I don't know if that's the same root word. I have to look at the etymology. But uh, there's just one letter difference between anger and danger. And Jesus says... If you say, I hate you, that's about the same thing as saying, I wish you were dead. I had a friend at seminary. His name was David. And uh, he, was, he was getting his dissertation finished, and we were, we were concluding Ph.D. work. And you had to schedule all these interviews and oral exams in the library. And the librarian was just really being contentious. And uh, he, t- he said to me one day, he said, I dislike that librarian so much. He is a non-person to me, a non-person. I said, wow. I mean, basically you're saying you wished he didn't exist. He is, you wished he was a vapor, a, you know, not even there. And that's about as, as mean, I think, as, as anybody could say. I wish you were a non-person. I wish you were, didn't even exist. What do we learn about anger from the life of Jesus. Once again, Jesus, like God, did not direct his anger at people. He directed his anger at a fig bush that represented the religious trappings of Israel. He directed his anger at the tables of money changers in the temple that were abusing the temple. It was supposed to be a house of prayer and turned it into a, a place to, to make money. He was moved to anger by injustice. And for, the, and for all those who hated him, he didn't return hatred. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he felt sadness and love to people who were missing <clears throat> the kingdom, but never, never did he hate anybody. And we talked about this last week. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, don't resist one who is evil. For if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Stop the cycle of anger. If somebody dislikes you, you might not be able to do anything about that. I mean, the Bible says, first go and leave your gift at the altar and and go and be reconciled to them if they have something against you. So much as it depends on you, that's what it says in Romans uh, 12, 18. 
If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. As far as it depends on you, be at peace with those people. Now, if, if they despise you, if, they've ha- if they hate you and you've done everything you can do to go and apologize, to make amends, to make things right, you're not responsible for how they feel toward you, but God says you are responsible for how you feel toward them. How you feel toward them, you're responsible for. After the Civil War, or as we say here in the South, the War of Northern Aggression, Abraham Lincoln announced to his cabinet, sorry for you Yankees here, he announced to his cabinet his intentions of forgiving the South. And if he had lived, there's no doubt that things would have gone much better in the South than they did. And in in the process of restoring it, he wanted to forgive. But Secretary of State Stanton said, no, we need to destroy our enemies. And Lincoln replied, do we not destroy our enemies when we make them our friends? Do we not destroy our enemies when we make them our friends? Jesus says, don't even say you fool. You fool, you shall be liable to the hell of fire. Why is that? Well, you know, growing up, I used to hear all the time, sticks and stones may break my bones, but what? What? Words will never hurt me. That couldn't be anything further from the truth. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can break your heart. And that's a whole lot more tender. And there are children who harbor words their parents have said in anger. There are parents and and children, their spouses. Be careful what you say. And that's why Jesus is saying, don't even say you fool. Don't even say he's a non-person. Because words break people's hearts. Can we completely avoid anger? Just never be angry? Probably not. Ephesians 4.26, once again from Paul, be angry, but do not sin. How do you handle that? How are you angry, but don't sin? You just don't let the sun go down on your anger and make room for the devil. Because when there's anger in your heart, that's an open door for the devil to get his foot in. And once he gets his foot in, he gets his leg in. And his leg, his body. Just takes a little crevice of anger for the devil to come into your heart. But I'll tell you what, the more love you have in your heart, the less room there is for anger and bitterness and evil. And so if, ang- if, if love grows, then all those negative emotions will get forced out. Whenever I am tempted to lash out in anger, and, and I, I used to be, I was never hot-tempered, but I used to say things without thinking, more so than I do now. And I had a wise friend in my last church in South Carolina. When I was the victim of um, abuse, of course, that's my perspective, <laughs> he said, don't ever get down, and you ever heard this? Don't ever get down and wrestle with a pig in the mud because you both get dirty and the pig's enjoying it. Don't ever wrestle with a pig in the mud because you're both going to get muddy and dirty, but the pig's having fun. 
So just think about that. Don't, and I know in a way that's kind of bad to say because you're envisioning your enemy as a pig, but <laughs> you can work on that later. Just don't, just don't lash out in anger. So how do you deal with anger? How do you deal with it? How do you cope with it? Just some suggestions in your, in your order of worship. First thing is just reflect. And what I mean by that is just stop and think. Don't lash out. That's what we usually do. Somebody says or does something and our anger, I mean, you can see the, the temperature going up and the red coming out and blowing out the top of your head and you respond in haste. I see that all the time on, uh, on the internet. Facebook, uh, emails, you know, people say and do things they wish they could retract because they did it in haste. Take time, count to 10. Do whatever you have to do. Think about how much God loves you. When someone wrongs you, you just think about how much God loves you and let that love fill your heart. Because when love is filling your heart, there's no place for anger and evil. There's an old story about a rough, tough, gruff mountain man in West Virginia who falls in love with a beautiful young woman. And uh, eventually he musters up all the courage he can possibly, possibly have, and he tells her, I love you. And after a few moments, she says, I love you too. And that night he goes home and he prays. And he says, God, somebody loves me and I ain't got nothing against nobody. If you can remember that somebody loves you, that God loves you, that God has forgiven you, how can you harbor resentment and anger and hostility toward anyone? The second thing is allow God to enact vengeance. Back in that passage in Romans 12, verse 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave that to the wrath of God. It is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So if your enemy is hungry, it's not your friend. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's how you respond to someone who dislikes you, is you respond to them with good and with love. And once again, you might not change how they feel towards you, but you will change how you feel toward them. That's what Jesus did. If anyone would sue you and take your coat, give to him your cloak also. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who begs from you. Do not refuse from him who would borrow from you. Do good to those who wrong you. Imitate Jesus and follow him. And be reconciled. I actually had someone come and visit me a couple years ago, and they said, my father-in-law just doesn't like me. Is there anything I should do about that? And I read the passage about if anyone, if you're offering your gift at the altar and they remember that someone has something against you, first go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift to the altar. And so we went. And uh, I hope things are better. If 
but I know that he was doing what he was supposed to do, what the commandment says to do, because your gift means nothing to God if you know something, somebody has something against you, and even worse, if you have something against someone. So far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all people. Anger is self-defeating. It is self-destructive. It is against the will of God because he commands you to be reconciled to everybody. Once again, Jesus said to his worst enemies, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, I know you and I could say that and and be self-righteous. Someone does something wrong to us and we can say, God, they, they just don't realize what they're doing to me. And, and be, you know, so self-righteous. But, but Jesus is just saying, let love drown out hate. Be reconciled. Be at peace. Turn your anger, your hostility, your vengeance, your wrath over to God. He's the only one big enough and wise enough to handle it because he sees further than you do and he knows the thoughts and intentions of our hearts and those whom you have difficulty with. So if you have an enemy, pray for them, love them, do good for them. If they ask something from you, give them twice as much. If they expect you to do something, do twice as, twice more, whatever it takes. It depends on you. Let's bow together. Oh God, it's hard to live in this world and not make an enemy. And we can rationalize it and justify it and say, well, I'm doing what's right. I'm doing what God wants me to do. And yet even have a bad attitude about it. And, and anger towards us is then justified. But help us, Lord, to deal with our own issues, our own anger, our own, our own hostility. Help us to be at peace with all men so much as it depends upon us. We can't control how people feel about us, especially as Christians. If we're being the salt and light, then we are going to ruffle feathers in a politically correct environment. But even as we do so, help us to do so with love and not judgment. And help us to express our love for you in a powerful way. If there's anyone that we have bitterness toward, help us be reconciled. If there's anyone that has bitterness toward us, help us be reconciled. Help us do whatever it takes to obey this command and follow you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.